Hey, it's Justin, and I have a big announcement and personal invitation for you. This May, we're inviting a small group of people to Austin to learn how to grow their wealth tax-free and get access to some of my personal friends and experts in the industry. We did something similar last year, and the feedback was incredible, so we set aside a few tickets for non-Mastermind members to join us for this event. You'll spend some time learning from Garrett Gunderson, the brilliant and hilarious mind behind Money Unmasked, and the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Killing Sacred Cows, and one of my favorite books, What Would the Rockefellers Do? He's going to share his insights on how to grow your assets tax-free with life insurance. And you'll also get some time with Rob Dial, the mastermind behind the Mindset Mentor Podcast, who will share with you how to find fulfillment in success. Then you'll get to participate in a special investment presentation, in-depth discussions, and breakout sessions on two crucial yet often overlooked topics, personalized tax strategies and wealth building. Plus, when you register, you'll have the opportunity to attend a one-day course the day before on vetting deals. If you want to learn our process so that you can make great decisions, there's no better teacher than Hans Box. This is our most requested topic, and it'll be an exceptional course. Seats for the course and the one-day event are limited, so if you're interested, please grab your ticket today. I always say you're just one connection, one decision, and one strategy away from true freedom, and I look forward to helping you on your journey. Head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live or click the link around this video and secure your ticket now before we sell out. Hope to see you in Austin this May. Once again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash live. I can't wait to see you there. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now, I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm talking with Brian Beers. Brian is an entrepreneur and investor who took over his dad's small auto repair business and grew it from just a handful of shops to a 33-location enterprise that serves the Philadelphia and New Jersey regions. The company, which operates Midas franchises, employs over 200 people and does $40 million in revenue. Brian's now on a mission to help others build a fortune through franchising. In this episode, you'll learn the creative financing options Brian used to bootstrap and scale a $40 million franchise and how he did it despite having little to no experience. You'll learn how to transition out of your nine to five and start a franchise that leads to long-term wealth, including some of the top franchising opportunities to consider, and how to replace yourself and recruit a trusted operator who can oversee daily operations so you can gain freedom and live life on your terms. One more thing before we get to today's interview. 
Brian's got something special for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. He's giving you access to his course, Franchise Due Diligence. While franchising is a great vehicle to generate cash flow, build wealth, and create freedom, if you're not careful, you could end up making a bad investment decision. In this course, Brian shares his insights from his years of running franchises and gives you actionable steps that guide you through the due diligence process. To get access to this gift, visit lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash 156. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Brian Beers. What's up, Brian? Glad to have you on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Justin. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. We've got a ton of mutual friends, and I feel like it was inevitable that we were going to connect at some point because I've heard about you from a ton of people, Eric Van Horn being the actual linchpin who connected us. But I read a really cool article about you in Contrarian Thinking with my good friend, Cody Sanchez, and she always interviews awesome and smart people. So yeah, I'm glad we're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in the business world, because you went from little to no experience to scaling a massive business that is pumping out some serious cash these days. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been entrepreneurial in, in nature from being a kid to however I could make money, you know, uh, reading about you know, Warren Buffett and just just learning everything I could. And so I went, to, I went to college in University of Miami down in, down in Florida. I had jobs on South Beach doing like, I was doing software development back then with iPhones and stuff. And it's kind of always into tech, but more, still more on the business side. And, and um, you know, I was trying to figure out what I want to do after college. I, you know, I thought about going kind of the, the, maybe the software route, maybe a finance route. And my dad had a, had a small uh, franchise business of a couple of Midas uh, automotive repair shops that he had, you know, ran since he was 20 years old. So, you know, over 30 years at that point. And, you know, it was 2010, you know, 0809 had been rough. The business has changed a lot and they weren't making any money. And he was looking just to sell or just get out of the business. They were kind of ready to retire. And so I said, all right, well, how about instead of like selling them, like I, you know, I'll come and I'll see if I can make something of it. And so I joined the family business, knew nothing about cars, nothing about franchising. Uh, I never managed people before. But I could learn. And so I, I traveled around the country. I learned from other franchisees, like what were best practices. And then I started to implement those things and did that for six years and, and started like, you know, we, we were making progress. We were making more money. I wasn't making any, any more money, really, because I didn't, it was like my dad's company. And so, um, but I had saved up enough and my brother had come in and, and we went out and, and got a loan and, and we acquired uh, two more locations like in the Philly market from someone that, that wanted to sell. And then we just, we just kept compounding it. And so the, and then in 2017, we bought another location with the money we made from the first two. And then in 18, we opened up another two and 19, we did another one and took a break and or COVID. And then 21, we, we bought seven locations and then another four, another five, another two and bought my dad out. And, you know, as of today, we have 33 locations all in the, the Philadelphia, New Jersey kind of region. And uh, yeah, we'll do over 40 million in, in revenue. And uh, about 200 employees and, you know, bootstrapped the whole thing. I only went to that bank that one time, actually. All my other deals were seller finance and creative financing and just using cash, just reinvesting back in the business. I love it. So this is awesome because I love finding businesses where you can actually sell or finance them. And it's not weird to sell or finance them, right? Most businesses, you cannot do this or the seller's not willing to do this. It gives me a ton of confidence seller financing a business with someone because if they're willing to sell or finance it, it tells me it's a good business that they're willing to hang on. And so 
Walk us through some of the terms or arrangements that you did on some of these seller finance notes. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so they can be anything you want it to be. And that's what's the beauty of it. There's no rules. Like when you deal with a bank, you know, you've got certain collateral, down payments, interest rates, terms, all this different stuff. So totally flexible. And so like the first deal we did was we bought a store. I think the purchase price was 350000 We put $50,000 down. And what he wanted was a 10-year amortization. So we'd spread the payments out over 10 years, but with a five-year balloon. And so that gave us time to like, you know, we paid three grand a month, I think it was. And that gave us time to kind of build a business. And uh, that store, we crushed that store double. We doubled the volume. We had 400 grand in the first 12 months. Wow. On a, on a 50K investment, it was about 800% return. And then we ended up paying that note off way quicker than, than we paid it off in about four years. We'd done a deal. It was it was $2 million and the guy wanted $50,000 down because he just wanted cash flow. He just wanted payments. As long as I guaranteed him $2 million over the over the life of the loan, which is about 12 or 13 years, that's what he wanted. And so we're paying him 12K a month for the next 12 or you know 13 years, something like that. And so how I approach it is a little bit different than most people. I approach it when I negotiate these things, we just tell them, hey, up front, this is how we've done all these other deals in the past. This is how we're going to do this deal. And we, we focus on three numbers. We focus on really cash flow. So like money in, so how much money we're going to give you down, how much are we going to pay you every month, and then for how many months? So those are the three numbers. And then once we agree on 50K down for 12K a month for the next for you know, 12 years, 144 months, whatever it is, and we add it all up, then we'll kind of go back and figure out, okay, well, what's the purchase price? What's the interest rate? What's the amortization schedule look like? We figure out all the technical things later, but like most of these people, they just want to know what the cash flow is. They care later about the other stuff, but initially to get them on the hook, we just focus on payments. Yeah, that's incredible. And, and by the way, I love how you can create a win-win situation. And the whole idea is you ask them, what do you want? What works for you? It's incredible to me that you can get as low as a $50,000 down payment on a $2 million deal, like 2.5%. So what he asked, he asked for. We were like, you sure you don't need more more money? But yeah, yeah. That, that's fantastic. And so on the other one, I think you said it was a million bucks and $50,000 down. No, that was a uh, 350. Oh, 350. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, you know, you, you look at this and you say, a lot of people are like, well, how do you buy a $2 million business or a $350,000 business? But you make it cash flow, right? And someone that is willing to do five years, 10 years, 15, even 20 years, I had a guy do a 20 year note with me with no balloon, right? Just an option to maybe discontinue at 10 years, right? But a 20 year note, and it's like, this is a good business. Otherwise, they wouldn't be willing to do that because they wouldn't make money in future years if it wasn't a good business. So it's a great way to kind of just take the temperature of the seller to make sure that things are really what they say that they are and that the numbers are not fudged. Yep. And they trust you. I think for a lot of a lot of times how it works in I think in franchising is everybody gets to know know you, right? Like it's a private community. It's a small community once you're within a franchise. And, you know, I've established myself as, you know, one of the one of the top people in the industry or even within our, our system. I'm on all the, the advisory boards. Like everyone sees me all over the place. And so they they inherently trust me. And so, you know, at the end of the day, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And I think within a franchise system, it's very easy to become known, liked, and, you know, if you're a good performer, you, you can be trusted. And so uh, that's a, it's a huge competitive advantage that as an insider, 
as a franchisee you have that if you're an outsider, even trying to buy a franchise, like they don't know you, they don't trust you, like you may screw the whole thing all up. That's like a huge differentiating factor of, of why we can get some of these deals that other people you know can't. And what's the typical profit margin on a Midas business? I'm sure it, it varies. It ranges. I mean, after you get it under ownership, it's probably a little more consistent. I mean, all in, we're around 12%. Um, okay. my, my best single store, like on the four wall profits can be over 25. They do really well. The you know, lowest ones lose money. There's a range. That's interesting. And so with some of these stores that lose money? Do you just see him as a lost leader that overall makes the value of the portfolio a lot stronger? Or do you really need to get it into profitability for it to get the multiple? Yeah, well, we definitely need to make them profitable. But you know, the, as you get bigger, you know, we, we're able to kind of like weather the storm a little bit like so we can buy some of these losing locations and take a hit on our P&L for however long it takes to get the thing going. But you know, when you're smaller, you, you can't really do that. If you only had one or two locations, you know, we've, we've taken over locations losing a hundred grand a year and you got to be willing to, to be able to like sustain that or, or have very good confidence in your ability to get them going. And so that is part of the reason we get good deals too, is some of these, some of these are turnaround efforts and, and you've got to be a good operator. And so have you had offers thus far to sell your portfolio or are you waiting until a certain uh, point? Yeah. I mean, we, I'm on Twitter. I get got private equity guys all the time messaging me, wanting to chat. You know, I talk to them because, you know, for us, it's kind of like, hey, what is, you know, the, uh, how do we make this thing built to sell? How do we, you know, me and my brother, we own 50-50, right? How do we remove ourselves from the day to day? And we do that by hiring really good people in the, in the leadership team, which we've done, you know, and then how do we create the roadmap for future success? How do we, how do we systematize our business? business, which is, you know, the franchise itself provides a playbook, but as running the business, it's still, you know, we have all the same problems and everything that any, many other independent business would have. You know, our, our goal eventually is to, you know, I don't know timeline, but yeah, we want to be in the best position we can. And so with these businesses, with these Midases, obviously you have a social media presence. So that could be one way that you're able to pick up more locations. But the most important thing I have found to scale outside of like systems, like SOPs, is the operator. And some can make the case that maybe that is the single most important thing. So for me, as an investor, I don't ever want to buy a job. I want to buy a business that has the cash flow to afford a top-notch operator to run that business and compensate them well for the job that they're doing. So I'm curious what you have found to be like the best like way to hire, like to find the right people, like who's the right match. And then also compensation wise, what does that look like? Yeah. So like for us, there's different levels, right? So we, in our model, we've got store manager, right? And then this, these got like the mechanics in the team there. And then we'll have a district manager that will oversee roughly, uh, you know, let's call it six, seven, eight locations, maybe up to 10 if they're, if they're tightly located in high performers, you know, then we've got you know, that's kind of like a pod, right? Or a district. And then we've got currently four of those. So each each one has roughly eight locations and that gets us to our 32, 33. And then we kind of over that pyramid have a, have a COO who then all the district managers report to. And so for us, A, to go into a, a new market. So like we're looking at new markets all the time, but we need six locations, like a roadmap to six locations very quickly in order to support the salary of hiring that that district manager role. And so, you know, if someone wants me to buy one store an hour and a half or two hours away, like it doesn't really make sense for us because that becomes that job, right? Versus if I say, okay, I can start with that one, but I can buy another two. And then I think within six months, I can buy one here. If I can cobble together a, a market, you know, in a relatively short amount of time, 
that's how like it's like this stair step uh, f- feeling to build these out. And so I think that's part of it. You know, that role pays, you know, they'll make anywhere from 100 to 100 and like 25, 130, 140, something in that range. You know, then for the the leader, the, the higher leadership role, like my COO, I actually got him through, we have a bunch of friends, mutual friends in GoBundance. A bunch of GoBundance guys I knew used an organization uh, that helps place former military special ops guys out of the military into, you know, high paying civilian jobs. They had a bunch of success locally in Philly. So I reached out to them, said, hey, I'm looking to hire a COO. And they brought me somebody and, you know, he's... uh he, he crushes it. And so even though these guys have no like civilian experience, like they're right out of the military, they are the top 1% of the military and they are excellent leaders or excellent managers. And they do very good in a process driven environment, which, you know, a franchise system is. So anyway, I've got, I've gotten out him kind of over this. And as we look to expand into other franchise industries, I am tapping that same, you know, pool of these special ops, these top notch guys. And, and I will train them the franchising thing, you know, but they've got core leadership skills uh, that I need. So, yeah, I think that's a great marriage right there. I mean, we've had also a lot of success with uh, special forces, former whatever it be, special ops, any type of operations, because you have basically someone that's not going to flake, someone that's going to work hard and show up every day that is very system oriented and is used to managing a team of people, at least a certain size team of people. So, yeah, I think that's a great pool to pick from. And for anyone that does have a business and you're trying to figure out how do I remove myself? How do I create more lifestyle and flexibility? Figuring out who's going to run the day to day and and finding someone that has that experience, someone that has the discipline that you want. I think that's a great resource. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. I would, yeah, the the organization we use is called uh, SOTF.org, Special Operator Transition Foundation. So if anybody's looking for somebody, I'd highly recommend uh, to check them out. I love it. And with Midas, so it's interesting. I I don't know that a lot of people would look at that business and say, wow, what a huge opportunity there. Like even just mechanic shops in general. And by the way, at one point in time, I almost did a triple net lease with one of them. And uh, maybe at some point, you know, I will just uh, getting into that business where it's corporately guaranteed more on the real estate side than the business side, right? Do you love the podcast and the book and wonder what the next step should be on your lifestyle investor journey? For a limited time, my team is doing free personalized consultation calls to learn more about your goals and determine which of our courses or masterminds will help you get to the next level. Whether that's to make your first investment or to create your first income stream of passive income, or whether that's to achieve ultimate financial freedom. If you'd like to reserve a spot, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation to book a free strategy session while they're still available. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. But what other businesses, like, do you feel like in the mechanic space, there are other businesses comparable to Midas? Do you feel like this is an outlier? Are there other businesses, other franchises and other industries that maybe have a similar profile, similar profit margin, ability to get to profit quickly? Yeah, I mean, when I take a step back, I guess in the Midas system, 66% of franchisees are single store operators, right? So we're, we're in a system where two out of three are single store operators. And so it's not necessarily like Midas itself was built to have all these multi-unit operators like a, like a Wingstop would or Burger King or Chick-fil-A or, you know, what Chick-fil-A, not Chick-fil-A, but, uh, you know, these other, other fast food, fast food restaurants and, and, and models do. And so part of that just proves that 
what we've if we can do it in a system where two thirds are not doing it, that the principles can apply to any any different industry. And so I've got I've got friends in other other industries doing the exact same thing as as me. And there's two different routes. Like there's the route like we've gone the roll up route primarily, but a big reason why is you know real estate's a huge constraint for us to find four thousand square foot space and a major retail road that's not too close, et cetera. But I've got friends in, in territory-based businesses, mobile businesses that don't have real estate constraints where they can just open up new, you know, open up new territories. They launch it with some marketing. Maybe they've got like a warehouse or whatever, but they can grow really quickly. And so the industries that I like are in the trades, you know, that's what I'm in. Like I like the more skilled trade. I think it's it is harder to hire, but generally easier to keep people once you hire them because you're not like gonna lose them to do some other random like uh, labor job. I think there's always a need for for the trades. And I think there's a, you know, the the culture these days is shifting heavily towards do it for me as opposed to like our parents. It was like I'll I'll do it myself. I DIY, DIY, and now it's DIF or whatever. And so anyway, that's like, so anything in home services, like fixing a home, painting a home, cleaning, HVAC, electrical, like anything in the trades, you know, anything that's like repair oriented that people are using their hands. I think there's always going to be a need if it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I started a company called Stellar with a couple of buddies and uh, that company has taken off and it's all in single family home maintenance on an institutional side, right? Volume play. And, um, you know, we saw some huge profit margins. I mean, based on doing every single job under the sun for, you know, maintenance, we found the highest profit margin activities or trades that exist. And then we kind of doubled down on those trades. But I would agree with you. I think home services is uh, hugely important. It's going to continue to grow. It's it's a mainstay in a down economic time. It's still going to be a very robust business, uh, especially if the business itself is built well and built right. Uh, something else I'm curious about, because, you know, Cody is all about Cody Sanchez, who has contrarian thinking. For those of you that are unfamiliar with her, she talks a lot about buying boring businesses. And, you know, she's spoken at a number of our events, and she just always does such a great job. Your strategy is is different, but similar, right? Because you're kind of more on the franchise route, and she's done less on the franchise and more on one of the one-off routes. We bought a business at one point in time, a dog training company that we thought, you know what, we could probably turn this single location into a multi-location site or turn it into a franchise. But there's a lot of work to that. So I'm curious if you've gone down the path of like, hey, do I buy other businesses and franchise them? Or do I just buy businesses in mass? Or do I stick to this strategy with Midas and continue growing that? Yeah. So I mean, I'm a uh... I'm a believer in the the phrase chase two rabbits catch none and so I'm trying to stay as focused as I can and you know if if I want to expand I mean similar to you I want to hire a partner or an, or an operator who will chase that rabbit together or, or he'll chase it and I'll I'll like provide him the gun whatever it is and so so like I'm not really interested in buying your random small business that you know Cody Cody would talk about you know, for me, even even other franchises, if I'm going to go to another franchise and we're looking now into, into getting in another one, like I'm going to go all into that one in terms of like, you know, we're not going to have one, we're going to have 10, <laughs> like, because I need 10 or, or whatever the number is to support the salary to pay a, a really good guy who can actually make it into something, right? It's kind of like a chicken and an egg problem. But if you don't have enough like volume, you can't pay the guy to actually can get it to the point that it, that it makes sense 
and not to be this like burden on too much of a burden on me. And so, you know, the strategy we're moving forward is find the guys who have the time, who have the leadership skills, but maybe don't have the money. And, you know, we marry that with, you know, the money plus, you know, in my franchising experience, I kind of get an idea of what are the models that I really like that I think would would do well in my market uh, that I don't have to get on an airplane or whatever to, to kind of go and oversee. That's kind of my main focus. Or what we're going to try next is a continuing to grow Midas. I've got a really good leadership team in there, so it's it's um, you know I'm not involved in the in the day to day anymore. And then see if we can duplicate that success in the franchise model. But I don't want to have my own business. I don't want to have to turn something into a franchise. All it's like work. But what I'm really good at is like, show me how to make money. Like, just give me the playbook and like, let me, let me go to work. Let me hire the people and we can train them. We can hold them accountable. We can drive sales. We can drive margins. You know, all that like operations and financial like analysis and, and the P&Ls and all, all that stuff is what we're really good at. What I'm not good at is like, coming up with the, the brand and here's how we're going to market it. And here's like all these other relationships that we need to create. And here's how we're going to, I have no problem letting the franchisor handle all that stuff, paying 6% or whatever it is. And, and me not have to worry about any of it. Cause then in my mind, I can build a much bigger business if I, if there's less things that I have to worry about. And so I, I'm happy to make 6% less money, but have double or triple or quadruple the, the amount of actual profit dollars because you know, I'm only focused on the few things that that matter that I'm really good at. Yeah, you know, having a franchise is kind of like having a back office, right? They take care of a lot of the things. I mean, you've got to have your own back office to a certain degree, but there is a back office that operates corporately. So for people that are trying to say, hey, how do I transition from W-2 to, you know, owning my own business? A franchise is a great option because you have a playbook that works. It, it's duplicable. And you've got other people, other operators and franchisees that you can reach out to for help, which is nice. You know, and I like real estate as well. You know, so franchises, real estate, you know, you could buy the right mom and pop business. And and by the way, we're going to have tons of businesses up for sale, including franchises in the coming 10, 15, 20 years, because all the baby boomers are retiring. And a lot of these people are owning either a one-off business or a franchise. Their kids don't want to take it over, or maybe they don't have kids. And so you can scoop these up for incredible deals because they may not even know what the value is, or they may not even know that they can sell it. They may not even want to sell it. So, I mean, I've talked to several people that bought businesses from baby boomers and they were planning to just shut it down because they didn't think anyone would be interested in buying it. It's crazy. Yeah. And even for a franchise in, in like in my case, in Midas here, like, you know, back to like two thirds of single store operators for those people, it is a, the franchise is a job for them. So in their mind, the value is it is like they are selling their job to somebody else. So they put less value to it than I would, which is, Hey, this is like, this is like a, this is an investment. This is a real business. Like I deserve a, you know, it's, it's worth a lot of money. Right. And so, so that's like, there's this arbitrage between the, the, but what you think it's worth and what they think it's worth, as long as you're running this like consolidation play, which is what franchises are really meant, meant to do. Like they're meant to be scalable. They're meant to be, you know, you can operate in multiple markets and you can systematize it. And people's biggest challenge in scaling is you just can't get out of their own way. They can't delegate, they can't hire. They like, they want to do everything themselves and they, they want, you know, perfection over progress. And then that is what, what then holds a lot of people back. That's good. Perfection over progress is well, I'm the opposite. An, yeah, it's an <laughs> easy way to fail, right? Yep. Uh, I mean, my daughter at my daughter's school, when she went to acting academy, they would always talk about how perfection is the enemy and progress is what you want. So always subbing out the word perfection for progress. So what, what a great lesson. 
So talk about what it's like working with your brother, because I have to imagine a lot of people would have a hard time wrapping their mind around working with a family member. And how is that going to work out? And do you like what roles do each of you play and, and how do you manage the you know family relationship and the business relationship? Yeah, I get that question all the time. And we have a great relationship, you know, fortunately. But there are many people, many brothers that I know that uh, in the Midas system that uh, rip the family apart. And so uh, it could go really one way or another. You know, we have, we have, we're yin yang of, of skill sets. And so I think that, that helps. So he, he really runs like the back office, the, the, like he oversees the finances, the um, technology. He's, he's like, he's a real, he's a tech nerd. And so, you know, we've built a lot of custom stuff to, to allow us to scale very inexpensively our back office using, you know, outs, you know, we have a hundred, almost a hundred percent Filipinos and anyway, lots of different things we've done to, to kind of, um, scale and, and use technology. And so he runs almost, he runs all of that. And then I'm, you know, and he's the detail guy. I'm the like bigger picture in the vision, you know, I'm the one, you know, who's more forward facing on the podcast and, you know, the ones uh, coming up with the new deals and, and getting the vision. And he, he was really good at helping execute the vision that, um, that I have. So, um, so anyway, it works as we're, we're, I think we're, we have offsetting skills. If we both were the same way, we we're both the visionary and neither of us actually wanted to like do the detail work. I think we would struggle. And if both of us did detail work, I don't think we'd have as big of a company as we do today. Cause a lot of the acquisitions are through relationships that I had, you know, built over the years. So. Oh, that's great. And, and so what are some of the things that you feel comfortable outsourcing to VAs or building systems around to just be more automatic than manual? Yeah. So, I mean, almost our entire back office. So as of today, we have, we just hired a third, but let's say we have a CFO, uh, a COA, chief administrative officer, and somebody who helps with accounts payable here in the US, you know, over 200 people company. The rest of our team is in the Philippines. So we have our controller, uh, multiple accounts payable, uh, accounts receivable, someone who helps with HR and onboarding. And like, they do all, you know, what they're doing. I mean, they, they have our bank account information, they're reconciling, they do credit cards. I mean, they do payroll. Like we have a trusted person that just helps us payroll. So it's extremely cost effective. I and mean, we hi- we can hire a high quality person for $1,200 a month compared to what would it be, be 5,000, 6,000 here in the US. And then we got benefits and all the other payroll taxes. And so, um, and then we do all of our IT. I mean, we're, we're now looking into recruiting. We, we tried doing, doing a call center, didn't really work for a couple of different reasons. I do all my social media uh, and we probably have 15 people, maybe, maybe more. Uh, I would encourage anybody to, you can, you can do anything you want pretty much uh, if you find the right people and set them up with instructions. I love it. And, and by the way, I've built a call center before. Um, I, it is, I mean, that is some true chaos right there. Uh, and yeah. By the way, I know people that have done it and done it well, but that is an operation that needs constant management. And uh, finding the right people and and retention is tricky. It, it's an interesting business. And ours was 100% remote. But our, our issue was, you know, the disconnect between the people calling, wanting to come in like right now to get their car fixed and like, then the people on the phone, like, what are they telling them? Our, our rules like say, yes, bring them in. Like we want the business. But then the managers would call the call center people and say, oh, no, I'm shut off for the day. Like, I don't have this. I don't have that. We're too busy. And then we get pissed off by like, you know, hearing that they're shutting down business. And that it was, it was a whole thing. So. I love it. So what would you say to someone who is working a job right now and maybe they are super comfortable, they've got the golden handcuffs, they make good money. So it's hard to leave because they become accustomed to a certain lifestyle, 
but they want to leave because they're just so sick and tired of what they're doing and it doesn't inspire them anymore. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, I mean, we, we, we talk to people every single day who are in that, in that situation. Like, you know, and I've, I've got a team, we help people do that exact same thing. How do you transition out of corporate America in, into being your own business owner? And at the end of the day, I mean, we've got, you know, you got one life to live. Like, how do you want to, what do you want to do with it? And I think, you know, I, I, you know, Jamie Gruber, right? I know go, the name. Go abundance. Anyway, he's, he's a friend. Yeah. He's a good friend. But he had this real good saying about, you know, leaving his job. And, and, he, and the way he kind of talked about it was like, you know, what's the worst that happens? So you, you quit this job, start this business, you know, maybe it doesn't work out. Most of the people who, who buy franchises are highly employable. Like they have really good resumes. They've got the, the huge networks. Like if, if it didn't work out, yes, you lose some money, but then you you kind of go back probably to the same job that you're at today. And so like the downside risk is somewhat minimal compared to you look at the flip side of what, what the upside is and like that you could create this business. You can make a, you can make a lot more money. You could have a lot more time. You could have a lot more fun uh, and you could like really live the the lifestyle that, that you really want to live. And it's, it's there. Like if I can do it, like you can do it. Like it's, it's not rocket science. Like I don't have an MBA. I didn't invent anything. I didn't like solve a new problem. I just, you know, show me how to make money and I'll just go and do that. And like, I think it takes time to learn. It's not for everybody. Like you got to be driven and you got to really want it. Uh, but for those that do and make the jump, I mean it, the rewards can be astronomical. Oh, totally. How old are you now? And how old were you when you started, when you took over your first Midas? Well, I'm 35, and it was I. I bought like my, my first one of my own six, six, 2016, so six years ago, okay. seven years ago. And so, what were you doing then for money prior to Midas? Like, what was your career? I was out of college. I was just I had jobs doing like some software development stuff, but I didn't. I wasn't making much. Uh, even when I did that, I, I started in the the family business. I don't know, it's like 50, 50 grand a year, maybe. I get it because when you're in that space, it can be tough to say, well, what if I don't do well? I'm walking away from all the money I'm making. Like, this is scary. But the flip side of that is, yeah, you can also go get another job making the same amount, likely even more if you're just willing to like go out there and look. But I think that's the tough part is change is hard. You get you know, used to something, you get used to a certain amount of pay for a certain activity, you're, you're good at it. You may not like it, but there's this factor of what is known. And then over here, there's this factor of this unknown that just feels scary because it's unknown, even though the skills may fall much more beautifully into your skill set. Yep. Yeah. No, it's, it's definitely, you know, definitely a a big, a big commitment and for those who really want it. And you got to have that, that why that driving why I think is, is that why has got to be bigger than any of the downside or any of the, any of the, the fears. Yeah. Any last thoughts you want to share with our audience today about, you know, what you've done and, you know, my, my goal is that I'm always bringing guests on that have advice, that have experience, that have strategies that they can copy. You said it perfectly yourself where you're, you said, Hey, this isn't rocket science. Like, these skills are not challenging skills. I just find someone that's done it and I copy them. And I feel like that's what I've done in my career is I've just found people that figured out a playbook and I just copy that playbook and it works. Yeah. I mean, that's what all franchising about. So yeah, I mean, I think any, you know, the, the parting words would be, yeah, I think some people may have preconceived notions about franchising that they think of McDonald's, they think of food, they think of like huge multi-million dollars, or they think it's like buying themselves a job and it's like, you know, 100K a year. But in reality, there's just 
like all of these different industries, you name it, whether home industry, we got healthcare, you got pets, we got like, you know, auto fitness. I mean, almost anything you can get into and, and you can build a significant size, size business. I mean, ordinary people every day are building tremendous amounts of wealth that people don't even realize just like following the playbook. And so, listen, it's not, it's not for everyone. It's not easy, you know, but the, the road is paved and it's just up to, to the people who want to, who want to get on it. And so, um, that's uh, and, and I'll throw one other thing out there about this is that sometimes it's not whether it's easy or hard. Sometimes it's not whether it's safe or risky. Sometimes it's that you just need something new to bring back the passion and bring back, bring back the excitement, bring back the desire to like learn and grow. And when you're stuck in a rut or stuck in the same thing, it often can be hard to make that move. But the move, like the, a lot of people are like, oh, I would want to move for this great opportunity. Well, what if the opportunity is not great, but it unleashes something in you that really fosters this, this new motivation, this new eagerness to learn or to network or connect, and it leads you to the next thing. Maybe the next thing isn't the first thing you do. It's the second or third or fourth thing. But just the newness of something that you don't know well and the variety that that creates and the forced learning that really comes into play, I think that in itself is just like one of the greatest gifts in the world. Yeah, that, that's, that's extremely well said. So where can people find out more about you, Brian, if they want to learn about what you're up to and connect with you? I know you've got a big social media presence, especially on Twitter. Yeah, tw Twitter is probably my biggest platform right now uh, at just Brian Beers, and um, I'm also I'm trying to do a little bit more on LinkedIn. I've I've got a podcast as well. It's called Business with Beers, where I bring on franchisees, franchisors. Uh, we also talk about you know once you're making money, how do you invest it into passive syndications, right? And I think uh, you know you're you know all the stuff you're doing would be really cool to talk about. That'd be the best place is, is Twitter, and from there you can find find everything else. I love it. Well, this has been just a ton of fun, and and by the way, I love the catchy name of, uh, you know, interview with beers. I mean, that that's really fun podcasting with beers. Okay, so I love ending every episode asking our audience one simple question. So this is, you know, a question that I really want you to answer yourselves. But that's this, what's one step you can take today, based on the information you learned from Brian, that sets you on a path towards financial freedom and really living life on your terms, one that is full of intentionality and really kind of evokes that desire. So not a life by default, but a life by design. What's that one thing and can you take action on it today? Thanks as always, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who would benefit from this episode, would you mind sharing it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all resources mentioned, visit www.lifestyleinvestor.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor. This podcast is being made available exclusively to financially sophisticated, high net worth individuals capable of evaluating the merits and risks of investments.
The material presented in this podcast is not intended to be investment advice or to recommend the purchase or sale of any security, nor is it intended to be legal, accounting, or tax advice. You should consult with your legal, tax, or financial advisor in connection with any material discussed on this podcast. Past performance is not indicative nor a guarantee of future results. Certain materials discussed on this podcast may have been prepared by third parties, which have been obtained from sources that we believe to be accurate and current. However, we make no representation or warranty as to the accuracy, completeness, or currency of such materials.